The Adventure Jogger, a podcast about trail and ultra running. Meet fascinating runners from the front, middle, and back of the pack, sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running. Running should be fun, and so should running podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Pluckelman, and this is The Adventure Jogger. One of the coolest parts about my job interviewing runners is meeting really cool, fascinating new people on a weekly basis, and I'm very excited to get to know this runner. She runs for the Rabbit Elite team. She won Angela's Crest 100. She's originally from North Carolina. She now calls California home, so she's, I would say, Beast Coast uh, bred West Coast runner. We'll see uh, her opinion on both sides of the aisle. Melissa Danahay is my guest on the Adventure Jogger. Welcome, Melissa. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. I, I love your show. It's so much fun. So when you reached out to me, I was just really stoked to um, talk to you. And I'll say this, Melissa, you were, I, I tried to schedule you um, before the move. And then I was like, oh, we'll be all settled by then. And then we had this incredible back and forth of rescheduling four times because apparently getting cable, I had moved in the longest time. Apparently getting cable set up is the most difficult thing ever. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being so flexible and, 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 and not telling me to go F myself after I asked you the fourth time to, to reschedule. So thank you. No worries. It actually worked out nicely because um, I was diagnosed with COVID. So I was recovering from that in the meantime. And the whole time I was like, oh yeah, I'll be fine to be on the show. I'll just, you know, do it from bed. And so it, it worked out because now I'm recovered and good and I've had some time. Okay. From that. Uh, let's talk about that uh, to get started, Melissa. So I know I've talked to various people and some people, some friends of mine that have had it and said it wasn't much. Um, there was, uh, you know, some people that have had it, it's like it felt like the worst flu ever and they wanted to die. Um, all kidding aside, I mean, we've lost family members from COVID-19. How, how was your case of covid Oh, it kicked my butt. <laughs> um, my my fiance got it too, and uh, we found out uh, earlier this month. It was like March sixth when when we both got tested, and um, he was you know pretty out for about four days. He just slept right through, and it was almost like a bad flu. Yeah. And then mine started off as mild, and then I ended up getting pretty sick to the point where I ended up having to see my um, my doctor, and I had like a secondary bacterial infection. So, but once I got on antibiotics, it was so much better. Okay. Did did it affect? Are, are you back to running now, Melissa? After COVID, I am. But it is a, a little bit slower. I can definitely feel, you know, my body is not 100% there yet. But overall, um, it seems like I'm I'm back on track. Uh, you know, we were on the treadmill during our quarantine period yeah. um, because, at, you know, at some point I started to feel a little bit better once I was on antibiotics. And, um, yeah, I'm not 100% there yet. But, of course, it's only been a couple weeks at this point. Did you take precautions? Were you constantly washing your hands and wearing a mask everywhere? Yeah, we we were pretty much locked off in you know this part of the house, so mm. we had our own entrance to the outside, and yeah, it was uh, it, it was pretty rough. We we just stayed in our room for the most part. I don't know about you, but when the pandemic hit uh, last March, like we went all in on the hand sanitizer. Like we had enough hand sanitizer for for like a whole school 
right in our house. And I would constantly be putting it on my hands. And then I realized about two weeks into that, I had the driest hands ever. <laughs> they were painfully dry and cracked. And I'm like, oh, shit, maybe I've, over- I've overdone it just a bit. <laughs> maybe a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Melissa, let's kind of get your running journey. I always like to start off my interviews with, with kind of letting people describe their, their journey into running. And I often say, you know, million ways to find this sport. How did you discover the, the sport of trail and ultra running? I, so I, I'm from North Carolina. Mm-hmm. I grew up for the most part um, in North Carolina. Before that, my, fa- my father was Air Force. So we actually traveled around a lot. I was born in California. Oh, wow. Um, and then just somehow made it to the East Coast. And uh, I just started running, just kind of taking on a hobby, a reason to lose weight in college. Um, so that was actually like my first actual run was was in college. I was just looking to lose some weight. Um, and from there, it just kind of like naturally just evolved. Um, I wanted to run more. I was running 5Ks and then I was running 10Ks and I was running half marathons. So it started out as kind of road running primarily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a friend of mine was starting to get into ultras and I trained with her and she talked me into doing my my first trail race, which was actually, it was probably one my first trail run too. Yeah. And here I am running a 50 K, you know, <laughs> in this like, you know, all roots and trees and, you know, it was just completely new, but I was just fascinated. And pretty much from there, I just wanted to run more and more on the trails. So did you make the jump from road half marathon to, to trail 50 K? No, um, at that point I was training for road marathons. Okay. I was probably, um, I had run a, a few, you know, like okay. a handful at that point. Um, so this friend of mine, she just, she would train, you know, four marathons w- w- with me, you know, we were doing long runs together. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, well, if you're running with me for this, why can't you run a trail race with me too? And, and here I am. <laughs> it's always that bad influence. Everybody has the bad influence in their life that tricks them. You know, it's like, oh, (laughs) it's not that much farther and and you'll like it because it's quieter. And then, yeah, you get kind of wrapped up into it, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's like, come over to the dark side. (laughs) (laughs) So being a military brat, you must have grown up just all over the country. You're in a base here for three years, a, a base there for three years. That's really quite a childhood experience growing up just about everywhere. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, I, I wish I remembered more of it. It was a lot of, of my early childhood. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, um, by the time that we, I think I was in middle school, we finally settled down and we weren't moving around as much. And, and that's that was North where Carolina? we kind of like took roots down in North Carolina. Okay. What, what was your dad stationed at Fort Bragg? Was he, was that, was, was that, was that where he was at? No, at that point he had left the military. Okay. So he was, yeah, he had completed his service. And so he was, he was out by that point, you know, um, probably pretty early in my childhood. Now, I, I live in an army town right now, and all my, my really good friends are, are military. Jeff Stafford is retired, uh, 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment. There is actually an Air Force uh, group attached to Fort Campbell. They're TACPs, um, which they actually, they're it, it, combat controllers, really interesting job. Look up TACPs. It's really pretty cool. But uh, another friend of mine's a, a Green Beret with 5th Group, and they always throw around the, the term chair force. 
And I think it's because they're jealous that the Air Force treats their people a little better than the Army and they get a little nicer housing and stuff. I don't know if your dad ever ever experienced that that, that insult before or if you've ever heard that. But yeah, I'm sure your dad would get a chuckle off. Yeah, that. that's the first time I'm hearing that. I'll have to ask him about it. <laughs> Just say, dad, anyone ever say to you, Chair Force? Yeah, yeah, you get a little friendly rivalry between the services. So <laughs> you, you, you experience this, this Trail 50K and it changes your running at that point. It kind of opens up a whole new world to you. Oh yeah, definitely. I just, um, at that point I was just seeking out more trail mm-hmm. and there wasn't a lot. So I, at this point I was living in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is, you know, um, it's a pretty decent sized city, but a lot of the, the trail I'm like air quoting this. Yeah. Um, it, it was actually like, just like bike paths and greenway. And so I, I was running that, but it just, it wasn't quite the same for me. So here I am like venturing out driving sometimes an hour, an hour and a half, yeah. um, going out to the mountains and, and it just kind of grew from there. And then around 2000, 13, I came out to California, stayed for a week in Los Osos, which is uh, near San Luis Obispo. It's between LA and San Francisco. Yeah. And just like completely, just all of my time was outside on the trails and I loved it. And then um, six months from that time visiting, I ended up moving out there. Really? What now? Was there a part of you? Because the trails are entirely different. When you your Beast Coast trails, your North Carolina trails, it's a lot of rocks and a lot of roots and a lot. I mean, the mountains aren't that big, but they're they're brutal mountains. Did you get out to L.A. and and California and go like, well, crap, if I knew trail running could not involve endless rocks and roots, I would have picked this up a lot sooner. Oh, at that point, I was already in love with any kind of trail. Um, so I just I, I definitely enjoyed the the change of scenery. Uh, I think the biggest difference is when you climb a peak on the East Coast versus, you know, out here on the West Coast. On the West Coast, you can see, you know, you're at the top of the peak. Mm-hmm. In North Carolina, it wasn't quite that. Like, it, there was just, you, there was so much tree Bunch cover. Of trees, right? So even though you were kind of at the top, you can't really see anything anyway. <laughs> right. You, you put all this effort in to get to this beautiful, you know, crest and you're like, well, there's a lot of trees around. I can, I can kind of <laughs> yeah, see exactly, distance, but there's there's a whole lot of trees around. So yeah, I you know I laugh and and growing up in Wisconsin and and calling Tennessee my home for the last 15 years, I I I'm pretty proud of the Beast Coast and kind of my goal when I started the podcast, um, my first one around was to just kind of bring some light to some different runners um, on this side of the Mississippi. But I'll be honest with you, I've run out west. And it, when you put that effort and you climb and you get to that peak and you're like looking around, it, it there is nothing that compares to that feeling of of just looking around and and seeing the incredible thing that you've just conquered. Oh, it's incredible! Really good stuff. Um, so when did you know, Melissa, that this wasn't just a hobby, that you weren't just an adventure jogger or hobby jogger, that this was something that you had some talent in? And you could be competitive at it. Oh, uh, oh! Well, thank you for that. I, I still consider it consider it as a hobby, but you can't um, win Angela's yeah, press and say, be a yeah. hobby jogger. You can't. <laughs> I would say, yeah, it's definitely consumed more of my life. I think um, moving to California, it was very, very intentional. Like I moved for the reason of I wanted to be in a place that you know, kind of catered to my lifestyle Mm -hmm. and being out on the trails. And it was so accessible. Um, 
you know, where I was in my new home, which was Los Osos, right outside of this beautiful state park um, with just miles and miles of trail. Uh, so I would say the move was definitely a big jump for me. Um, and it also just, I had a career change. So I, I went from working, you know, 60, 65 hour weeks to a regular 40 hour work week, yeah. which was just a huge change too. And I think it allowed for me to have more time to be out there. Okay, good, good. So, but at one point though, you have to have, there must have been a moment, a turning point where you knew that this wasn't, you weren't going to be a middle or back of the packer, that you you could, through some some additional training and, and what have you, move up to closer to the front of the pack. Was What was that turning point for you? I would say it was when I was first starting to get into ultras, I'd run this trail race. Um, I love trails, but at the same time, I just loved running for hours and hours mm -hmm. and it took up more of my time. And then I got into 24 hour racing for a few years yeah. and um, I just, I just, for some reason, the mental part, it's really mentally challenging. It just clicked for me. So even if it was a one mile loop and you're running that for 24 hours, for some reason, I was good at it. <laughs> and um, and I think the big turning point was I went to uh, New Jersey for this one race. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's like it's called like three days at the fair. Yeah. And I ended up running one hundred and thirteen miles. And so I think that was a pretty big turning point because I was like, whoa, I I came in thinking maybe I could get a hundred done. Yeah. And I ended up knocking out one hundred and thirteen and still felt pretty good. Um, I think I think that was probably the big turning point. I'm always fascinated by the people that do really well in those 24 hour timed looped races because, you know, half of the fun of trail running is this beautiful scenery, right? And 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 I I, I particularly love point to point races. I love the the thought of if you're if you're in a really shitty place, you can say to yourself, "Well, I'll never see that again." You know, like <laughs> yeah, you know, everything's new at that point. But the mental toughness required to see that same stump or that porta potty or whatever it is on that one mile loop. I mean, that's just. That's an entirely different mindset, an entirely different mode of running in a way. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's it's completely different. And um, for some reason, both of them seem to click with me. Mm -hmm. Nutrition wise, what what is there a difference between the two when you're constantly seeing you the, 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 the Twinkies that you brought sitting next to that chair? Is it a different nutrition game between the, the, the trail running and the and the timed? track stuff i think with the 24-hour running you get you get a little pampered because they usually have like a full service kitchen just because it is a small loop and yeah. you're going to the same like aid station um this one particular race i mean you could place an order for like an actual dinner order what? and then come back a couple laps later and it's ready for you <laughs> like you could like say hey you know i'd like a hamburger and some fries and then you come back around and they have it ready so it was uh it was it was like fine dining for the running world. <laughs> These twenty four hour races, where trail races, you're just you know, drinking your nutrition, eating things like Twinkies, things that are packaged. Really, you were able to stop and go. All right, I'll take uh, the number four meal with uh, extra ketchup, and then you run a couple laps, and it's ready for you. Yeah. Okay, I don't know what you all are thinking, but I'm thinking I need to get me into one of them races. That maybe sounds... that's the reason I loved it so much. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really fantastic. So you, you get into these 24 hours and then you, you find that you're good at these and then you get back into the trail world. Tell me a little bit about Angela's Crest because this is an iconic 100 miler. 
And to get a W at one of these iconic 100 milers, that's not easy to do. You can't just do the Hal Higdon half marathon plan, show up in a <laughs> in your in your favorite pair of shorts and go like, let's give this a whirl. How, how did that all come about? Yeah, so um, I would say it started when, you know, in 2018, I, I got divorced mm-hmm. um, and, you know, I started kind of dating again and I started dating another runner and this was a first for me. And he's he's not just any runner. He actually ran the Olympic trials um, last year. Oh, wow. For the marathon. Yeah. So he's but he's a road guy. He's yeah. like <laughs> um, mostly road. And so, um, you know, I, I started dating him and we lived uh, um, 90 miles from each other. So kind of long distance, not really. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, we we connected through running. I met mm-hmm. him at a running fundraising event. And here I am like watching him and like how structured he is with his training, how much he applies himself. His mental game was just so much on point and he would give me these pep talks and I'd feel so inspired. Yeah. And so at that point, that's, that's when I started to think, you know what, I've never applied myself in this way. I've never worked with a coach. So let, let's see how this goes. I'm gonna sign up for a race you know, bring on a coach and see what happens. And so um, I started training with Andy Kamita, who, you know, he's in LA. Mm. And uh, what's great about him is he's run AC, like, I think like 13, 14, 15 times. Yeah. He he knows that race. He knows that course. He's been an ultra running scene for such a long time. Um, and so I started training with him. And this was the first time I actually like really applied myself. You know, I followed a plan. I had someone giving me guidance. I was cross training. I was thinking about all the important things like nutrition and recovery mm-hmm. um, and and also just the, the terrain I was running just yeah. to prepare myself for it. And I think, um, you know, for that reason, just because I, I was in such a good mental place, I was, you know, really working hard that I was able to like kind of s- get the fruits of that, right. you know, and, and winning AC was was definitely, you know, that that it, that was everything coming together. That has to be just amazing to like at what point in the race did you say to yourself like, oh, I, I, I might just be able to win this damn thing. Um, I think it was before the race. <laughs> I, I came in. Be- <laughs> Is that because? Hang on. That's that's the that's the cockiness of the fiance who ran the Olympic trials. He's rubbing off on you. You're walking, going like, I got this. Oh yeah, he was telling me all kinds of things, but at the same time, I was working so hard and I was having so much success in my training runs mm-hmm. um, that I just felt really good, you know, about what I could do at AC. And um, you know, at that point, I, I knew what I was coming into, and I had kind of my goals, and and it, maybe it wasn't necessarily to win, but I just I felt really confident going in. So I, I, I you know, I, I considered maybe. I, I could place in the top few spots. Who knows? Um, let's see what happens. But all I know is I've done, I've put in the work. I'm ready. I didn't, there were, you know, my training just went so well to where I, I felt like everything was clicking and and it did for me. Have you always been that way? Have you always had that that mental attitude of, I got this? Or was that a new thing for you? I think in a way I've always had it. Um, and I, I think that's what led to a lot of, you know, me continuing to run ultras and really get into it. And, it, and like this 24 hour racing, I just started to recognize um, the the mental aspect and how successful I was at that to where I could bring myself from the lowest point physically and mentally and then somehow bounce back and be fine like an hour later after yeah. just like refueling a little bit and sitting it out. 
I just, I've never had that mental attitude. It's always the night before I'm like, oh shit. You know, it's, <laughs> it, it's the race sneaks up on you and you're like, I've got time. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh God, it's next week. You know, it's, it's, it's that, it's that terror, but it sounds like you don't, you don't have the terror, Melissa. You have the, I've got this. Let's knock this out of the park. Not all the time. There's been races like that where I'm like, oh, crap, I'm not ready for this. <laughs> um, but AC was one that I was I was ready for. I had been preparing for a long time for that race. Did everything go smoothly that race or were there some downs? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, every single race I have, there's always um, the, just this one point where I'm just completely broken down. Mm-hmm. But the nice thing is, you know, after all of the experience of the years of running and training and going through things like this, I'm able to kind of bring myself back out, um, whether it's just like you kind of have to like pull the emotional part out of it and do like a systems check. Yeah. Like, okay, what's actually going on? You know, do I just need to rehydrate? Am I fueling incorrectly? You know, what do I need to adjust? And sometimes it's maybe just, you know, kind of like stopping all the negative thoughts saying, you know what, this is not getting me anywhere. Let's, let's get out of this funk Mm. and just remember why I'm here. Um, And so, uh, yeah, with AC, it's a hard race. It's yeah. it's yes. brutal. Uh, you're running, uh, you know, through these mountains and it's it's August, it's summertime and you're dropping into these like these canyons that are just you're just cooking. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I think the biggest challenge was I reached multiple points where I realized I couldn't eat anything. I wasn't able to even like like. I just, I didn't have the appetite, but also my stomach just wasn't agreeing with me. And so there were a couple points early in the race, you know, when it was really hot um, that I switched to like liquid nutrition Mm -hmm. and that, that really got me through. Um, And then, you know, just the mental part of it too, of just running in the mountains that long. And it's a pretty treacherous course. You're, you know, you're, you're summiting two major peaks along the range. Um, And so I think there were a lot of low points, but I think that's something that happens in a lot of these long trail ultras is you are going to reach them, but it's just knowing that you're going to be able to pull yourself out. Now, I did read somewhere, uh, Melissa, that you are an advocate for for women's, women survivors of violence, uh, that you experience that in, in your own life. Does that play in at all to your men- mental toughness? Is there a thought like, I survived this, this trail is, is, is nothing? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think running has, and maybe that's the reason why running has just been such a you know, important part of my life is because it in a way helped me overcome my trauma. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, for those who are listening, um, I experienced a sexual assault back in 2006. And um, it's been quite some time. But, you know, at the time, I didn't really understand trauma. I didn't understand PTSD. But Mm -hmm. for some reason, I gravitated toward running. And running seemed to be a way to provide um, a level of therapy to where I, I felt like I was empowering myself. I was, um, you know, you you have kind of like you're getting control back in your life um, through your running. And so um, and then at the same time, nature also provides a kind of a, a therapeutic aspect, too. Mm-hmm. And so here I am gravitating to this, you know, which I'm really grateful for, because there there's two different directions that you can get pulled in when something like this happens in your life. You know, I've seen people go the other direction. You know, they're going to alcohol and drugs and other things. Um, very fortunately for me, I was gravitating toward running and just recognizing how much good it was bringing. And um, and 
And so I just developed this really good relationship with running as a result because it was helping me. I didn't even know at the time. Now that I look back, I'm like, oh, yeah, this totally makes sense. Um, And so I think because of, you know, having gone through trauma um, and having gone through like such a hard thing in my life, I think. Yeah, it does give you a little bit of perspective of when you're running and, you know, you're running a race and something bad happens. It's like, well, it could be a lot worse. You know, look at all these other great things in my life. Look at how strong I am and how much I've already overcome. Mm -hmm. This is nothing. Do you recommend, I mean, is this something that you recommend for women that have experienced that? Is running something that you're like, you know what, you may want to give it a try because it's empowering and it may just give you some power back. Yeah, I, I I try not to necessarily not like push people to running mm-hmm. per se, but just finding that thing that just that does bring power to you, Wh- whatever it may be. It could be rock climbing. It could be music. It could be anything. But um, it's a matter of just finding the thing that gives you kind of um, like a level of peace. But at the same time, like that's like satisfying you in a way where it's like bringing some kind of important thing back to your life. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't, you know, I, I do talk about running and what it's done for me personally. And I always hope that somebody will try it out and maybe experience the same thing. But at the same time, you know, I, I try to tell people to just find whatever it is, whatever it may be that works for you. One of the things that I've found as I get older as a man, Melissa, is how clueless I am to the female experience. You know, I'm the father of, of two wonderful daughters. I've got a son as well. Um, and I have an incredibly strong, wonderful wife who is, is just, I, I just adore. I adore her strength. I mean, she is a strong woman that's been through some shit. And she is just tough and I absolutely love it. But I've realized as I, as I get older, I am so clueless to that a female experience. You know, I think there's a tendency for a lot of us to assume that our experience is the ultimate experience of the universe, right? The way that we perceive things is the way other people perceive things. And the way that we navigate this world is the way others navigate this world. And I was clueless to how how much uh, sexual violence and sexual assault and just sexual harassment is out there towards towards women, um, and, and and I think there's there's two ways men react to that. One is what that no, this is this is ridiculous. You can't just say hi to some woman and then all of a sudden she's going off saying sexually harassed. They can overreact like that, or you can sit there and go, oh God, oh my God, what can I do to to not perpetuate? that world that that fosters that sort of that, that sort of atmosphere and how can i help um and trail running especially over the last year a lot of things have come to light there are great athlete uh, or, or race directors out there that go out of their way to make sure that women feel included and safe jason green is one of them. Uh, Jenny Baker is another one. She has this great thing called She Ventures. Um, please, 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 ladies, Google She Ventures. It will change your life. My daughter went there. It was one of the best experiences of her life. Um, but but it, do we have a problem, Melissa, in, in trail running and ultra running in general? Is it 
I know there are those RDs that really do make it a great place. Um, and, and, and Jason's one of those guys that proudly points out the fact that more women participate in his races than men. But is there a problem, Melissa, that you see? And, and what can us guys do to, to make this space a, a better place for, for women? Oh, first of all, that's so great that, you know, you kind of recognize this and and how polarized it is. And I think there's always room for improvement. I think there has been a lot of of positive change when it comes to a lot of different things. Um, You know, my my assault experience that I had in, in 2006 and the way that, you know, the police and the detectives interacted with me, um, it, it was so different from the way things are now. I think there's been a lot of, you know, movement, positive movement in that direction to where, you know, now police officers are getting training so that they're more trauma informed. Um, and, you know, just, there's more light being shed onto it. Um, so I think there's a lot of positive change and and then the same thing with the trail world too, you know, the, Females are definitely underrepresented mm-hmm. in in this field, but I see it continuing to change. Um, I see a lot of really great female athletes starting to like come out and and just really tear it up. You know, they they coined the term "chicked," right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because we're it's almost like um in when you're getting to that ultra distance, Mm -hmm. it almost levels the playing field a little bit. And I think people are starting to recognize that. And, you know, there's so many strong, resilient women out there um, who are just like really shining in this sport. And I just love the direction it's going. Um, So um, I I don't think there's anything, you know, specific per se that needs to change yeah but I I think we're, we're moving in the right direction. That's good to hear. Cause if you would have said like, it sucks, Stop it. It would have been so discouraging, but I'm glad that there's there's progress being made. We're not we are not saying it's perfect. We are not saying problem solved. Okay, everybody on to their business. There's still work to be done, but I'm I'm glad that things are moving in the right direction. And and you know, you're talking about your experience in, in, in 2006 and and just how attitudes have changed. You know, I mean, God, there was a time when a woman would experience sexual violence and one of the questions would be, Well, what were you wearing? Like, like that was like, 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 like what you're wearing has anything to do with it. And I'm glad to see that more and more people and men especially are like, shut the fuck up with that stupid. What the fuck were you wearing? That has nothing to do with it. You know, and, and, yeah. and, that, and, the, and the world is changing more in that direction. Yeah. So all of that said to learn about that, to, to, to get a great advocate, you, you, you did point out about how um, there are incredible uh, women athletes that are now being thrust into the spotlight. One of those was Liz Canty, um, who I had a chance to, to interview um, just, just, a, just a couple of days ago at the recording of this podcast about her incredible experience at Barkley. So things are moving in the right direction, which is a very good thing. But what about you? You've got future plans now. You are on some radars. You are no longer this, I can just show up at a race and no one's going to know. You have a target on your back, Melissa. What, what, do, you, what do you expect? What, what's, what, we've talked about the past. Now let's talk about the future. What, what, where do you want to take this, this talent, this, this, this energy, this potential? Yeah, I, I definitely miss being the underdog. <laughs> um, yeah, things have definitely changed. Uh, so, you know, I, I actually, um, 
COVID was kind of a mixed blessing for me just because I was having um, hip issues. Mm -hmm. And so this gave me some time to actually go and, and have hip surgery done. Yeah. Um, so at this point, you know, I, I'm back to running. I'm, I'm recovering from that. Um, I've always wanted to run Western States. I mean, even from when I was on the East Coast, I mm -hmm. knew about that race. It was on my radar. And so, um, you know, I'm looking forward to being in the lottery again. Um, I, I would love to run that. I think that would be like just pivotal for me. And it, it'll happen you know hopefully yeah. sooner than later um and then so yeah in the meantime it's just running qualifiers for it um so i'm looking at like a kuyamaka that 100k race mm -hmm. um so that's something i've always wanted to run javelina which is a, a you know multi distance but i particularly the 100 mile distance would mm -hmm. be wonderful it's loops i love running in circles yeah um it seems like a, a great mix of all the things i love so that okay, so we're gonna expect big things from you, Melissa. You're on everyone's radar now. Big things from you. We did talk earlier about how you know you were you were born and bred. You're you're trail running in the Beast Coast. That's where you got that's where you got your your trail running genes from, right? It's where you got you where you cut your teeth on the trails, <laughs> right? And and now you're living in the West Coast. Let's break down the two, okay? Tra when it comes to trails. Which coast has the better trails, the Beast Coast or the West uh, Coast, Melissa? Oh, I, I, I'm so biased just because, you know, I, I fell in love with California and I'm out here. I love the trails here. I love the Sierras. Just incredible. Um, sorry, guys. I would say like the, the West Coast is definitely won my heart. At the same time, <laughs> though, you know, I haven't. Um, run, but just like a few small sections of, you know, the Appalachian Trail. I know there's a lot that I haven't seen. And so I, I'm, you know, going in with an open mind thinking that, you know, if I run that, maybe that'll change things for me. Who knows? I want to say this. You navigated that question brilliantly, Melissa. And I'm going to tell you <laughs> why. Because <laughs> you said that the West Coast trails were better. But then you went on to say, Appalachian Trail instead of Appalachian Trail. Oh. <laughs> had you had you said had you said Ryan the West Coast trails are better but someday I might run that Appalachian Trail you would be disowned by the Beast Coast. But you had a way of <laughs> <laughs> of 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 insulting us yet bringing us right bringing yourself right back into our heart with the way you said Appalachian instead of instead of Appalachian. Which was the correct way to say Appalachian. it. Appalachian. That you said it right. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, I have a friend of mine he grew up in West Virginia, um, real close to the Appalachian Trail, and he said you can tell out of towners by the way they say the name of that trail. It's not the Appalachian Trail, it's the Appalachian Trail. And he actually has a shirt that says it's Appalachian and it's spelled <laughs> out uh, that way. So that was a solid one two punch. Melissa, way to go. Okay, food. Where's the better food? Beast Coast, West Coast. <sighs> and you can't use the Appalachian I, I would say on this one. I, I never thought, like, on the East Coast, I wasn't a, like crazy about like Mexican food and like, you know, um, but moving out here in California, like I, I, I would say the West Coast might have you guys be the, the Mexican food Damn is it. fantastic. The produce, like a lot of the fresh produce that's out here, it just tastes so much different. Like it's just it's there's so much more flavor to like strawberries mm. and avocados and and all of these things that I wasn't really quite used to on the East Coast. 
But she did Sorry. say Appalachian, everybody. So that we're gonna we're gonna give you the Appalachian pass on that again. People, what about the people? Nicer people on the Beast Coast, nicer people out west. I would say both. I, I would say both. You're Switzerland, um, and I think you know a lot of why I've had such great experiences out here on the West coast is because I've lived in more like rural areas. So Mm -hmm. like Los Osos is a small town. Um, You know, everybody in town knew me because they always saw me running around. And so they're like, Oh yeah, yeah. The the girl is always running out here. Um, So I think because of that, just the small town feels of, you know, right now I'm in Goleta, which is um, just outside of Santa Barbara. So it's, it's a little bit of of a bigger city, uh, but still relatively small. Um, So I would say the people here are great too, but I, I've, I've been to LA a few times and it's a little bit different there. (laughs) Gotcha. Okay. This is going to be an easy one. This is going to be an easy one to play to the home crowd, Melissa taxes, taxes better on the beast coast or on the West Coast. Oh, East Coast. <laughs> that was a softball. We're, we're paying the price for living out here. It's a palm tree tax. <laughs> when you go home, your friends probably bring it up like, you know, Melissa lives in California. How can you even afford to fly out here with them taxes being so high? Your brother probably gets brought up all the time when you come back. Uh, back east, Melissa. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Our, you, listen. When you summit a mountain here on the Beast Coast, all you see is trees. When you when you summit the mountain on the West Coast, you get to see these beautiful views. But at least our taxes are cheaper. <laughs> right? <laughs> what is what is one race where you're at that everybody needs to try and put on their radar? Oh. Oh, man. I would say um, if you're ever going to venture out here, I I love all of Luis Escobar's races. I I don't know if you're familiar with Luis Escobar. Um, He was in the book Born to Run. He was Mm -hmm. the photographer. And he is a race director now and holds um, just this wonderful series of of all kinds of different races, um, different distances, different areas, too. I would say any of his races, they're, they're usually a little bit smaller, with the exception of he has this one Born to Run uh, event out here yeah. that is one i just highly recommend i go to it every year i can um and it has uh it's basically like a running festival everybody's camped out you know he he calls it the ranch and everybody's just like lined up with their campers their tents and there's events going on there's competitions and then meanwhile people are just running like there's a yeah. four-day event there's a three-day there's a hundred mile um the majority of people run just like events on saturday like the 10 mile race or the 30 mile race and then you're done and you can go party and have fun and listen to music um but then some people are just out there like all day and all night just you know doing these these loops they're like um 10 mile loops Mm -hmm. and uh i I would say any of his races are just great for the people for the intimacy and just um lewis also he he likes to uh to make you suffer a little bit so his courses are usually a little little tough too which but that makes it fun now like the book born to run at the Born to Run races, does Christopher McDougal, McDougal show up and just randomly talk shit about Dean Carnassus, like in the book? Is that, is that- <laughs> I didn't hear any of that, but he was at one of the events and he shot the gun, um, you know, the, the start at the starting line. Um, and then so that's the neat thing, too, is a lot of these folks like Scott Jurek, you know, mm-hmm. they'll come out to these events, too. And then some of the Taro Amaro come out and run with us also, which oh, is wow. just incredible. That's real. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny because I think there's like two books that 
will bring somebody to, to trail and ultra running. Dean Carnassus is ultra marathon man. And let me just, I want to reiterate, I love Dean. I'm a huge fan of Dean. Um, and I thought it was, I thought it was uncalled for when McDougal was talking shit about him in, in born to run. I didn't think it was even necessary for the book. I thought it was like, okay, well the book didn't, that wasn't necessary. And I think a lot of people hate on that guy because he was the first person to do it. Right. He wasn't the first person to run ultras, but he was the first person to say, you know, people may want to hear about this. I'm going to write a book about it. And I think anytime someone's successful, there's some hate. He's a really solid guy. One of the best interviews I've ever had. I, I, I love Dean and we're going to have him on again at some point. But, I, but people will find that book or they find Born to Run. And a lot of people will find both um, together. Did you, did you grab one or the other? Was there a book that was important to you? Uh, I, I read both okay. and I thought they were both wonderful. Um, and so I, yeah, I didn't even pick up on that like tension. Cause I think Chris McDougall also was kind of, um, talking about, uh, Ted barefoot Ted yeah, yeah. and giving him a hard time, but yep. I think they're, they're buddies too. So right. I, yeah. Um, I, I didn't pick up on that tension of any sort. I think it's just people loving the same thing yeah, and yep. just, you know, kind of gravitating toward each other. I have found that there is some, and I'm not, I'm not going to go into details because uh, I don't want to spoil anyone's secrets, but I have found that there is a little bit of drama. <laughs> there, is, there is like some, some drama between <laughs> like, I'll, I'll, I'll give you one. I interviewed uh, Gordy Ainsley um, a couple of years ago and, and Gordy is an interesting interview. I mean, he is a character and I kind of thought I look at Gordy um, <laughs> as kind of the patriarch of the West Coast and and Laz, um, Gary uh-huh. Cantrell, as the patriarch of, of the Beast Coast, right? Um, yeah, I see that. Yeah. yeah. Well, apparently, <laughs> Cordy does not like Laz because Laz said something in a message board years ago and they said, and, and he's still holding that grudge. I thought, oh, my gosh. I was, yeah, because I said, I'm like, hey, you and Laz ever hang out? He goes, I don't like that guy. He said something in a message board years ago. <laughs> Yeah, like, <laughs> oh boy <laughs> like okay i'm leaving that off the list of things to bring up next time i talk to him not gonna have that going on but yeah so it's interesting all the way around so definitely try the born to run races um lewis escobar yeah i think if you're if you know if you're doing a lewis escobar race you're, you're not going to be disappointed. That's not gonna be one of those races yeah. where you show up and go like what there's no food at the a station you ran out of water what's that you're gonna have a good time yeah absolutely so now that you've had COVID, you know, and, and you're you're probably going to, I hope you get vaccinated soon and, and hopefully all of us do when we get back to the real world. Is there is there one specific race? You said Western states before, but so besides Western states, there's something that, like how are you looking to round out your 2021 race-wise? Um, I, I would say Javelina. Okay, Javelina is, is just one that mm-hmm. um, it's it's held usually right around Halloween. Um, it's kind of like a running festival style environment, mm-hmm. too, where everybody's dressed up in costumes and, you know, there's base camp and everybody's just kind of doing their thing. There's a lot of excitement and energy around it. And then as a runner, you're kind of having to run through that again and again, which also can be a challenge because it's like there's a party going on. I don't have to be running right now, but I'm, I'm still doing it. Um, but I, I don't think I think um, just the whole experience itself, mm-hmm. um, even if I'm running for a hundred miles, I, I, it's still something I want to, um, to see just because I've heard so many good things about that race. It just looks like a lot of fun. Any plans to, to race back here on the beast coast anytime soon? <laughs> yeah. Funny thing is, um, you know, with Barkley just having happened, the Barkley marathons, mm-hmm. I was actually joking around with my fiance of like, you know, that, 
you know, people have made comments to me over the years saying, you should try the Barkley Marathons. You should do it. And I'm always, I always kind of roll my eyes at them. Like, yeah, right. That's, yeah. that's not a type of race I want to do. But um, I think after, you know, the years that I've spent running 24 hours and then being able to just like push through a brutal course like AC, mm-hmm. um, I kind of want to run it now. <laughs> but my fiance is like, you've got to take like orienteering classes or something. There's got to be something you can do because apparently my navigation skills are not that great. And I think that's <laughs> pretty important in a race like that. But hey, you know, there's got to be some kind of class out there where I can just like learn how to, uh, you know, maintain sense of direction and read a map and a compass. Listen, YouTube videos, you just got to watch like how to orienteer on YouTube and get a compass and then, you know, watch all of Jamil Corey's videos out on the Barkley course and, and you'll be a pro. I will say the funny thing about Barkley and the fact that the that the, the 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 iconic documentary, there's been a lot of them, but the one, the race that eats its young, because that's on Netflix, a whole lot of people will stumble upon that just because it's just so fascinating. And then like family members who don't run, they'll hear like you ran a 50K and they'll go, you should do that Barkley marathons. <laughs> yeah. And they have to go, there's no way in hell I could do Barkley. I, would, I wouldn't last an hour out there. I'd be dead. <laughs> I'd be the first person to die. <laughs> Yeah. And then there was a lot of that. A lot of uh, friends who don't run who saw that and they're like, why aren't you doing that? And it's like, well, there's so much more to that race that you don't know about. Like it's it's different. It's 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 kind of like this whole new type of running. Um, But anyway, over the years, it's just like maybe maybe all of uh, their like suggestions are just starting to like creep up on me. Creep up in your noodle. Maybe actually I, I might I could do this. If anyone's looking for some solid entertainment. Um, go on Reddit and go to the R the the running subreddit, not the trail running, not the ultra running subreddit, because it, it never fails. Um, every year, someone will post something about the Barkley Marathons on just the general Reddit or the running subreddit, and there's always a couple of douche nozzles that are like, "That's not even a race. Don't post that in running. That's hiking." Those guys are doing a 16-minute pace. That is not running. It does not belong anywhere <laughs> on this Reddit. It just it, it brings great entertainment because it's like clockwork every single year. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> they just don't get it. <laughs> no, it's one of those things. If you don't get it, you don't get it. If the yellow gate doesn't mean anything to you, you just don't get it. Melissa yeah. Danahay. That was a fun talk. Thank you for, for being so flexible um, you, you couldn't have, you, you could have left out the COVID part and just been like, yeah, yeah, I was, I was, you know, so I'm, I'm glad you made it through and thank you for, for, uh, for rescheduling me five or six times. We'll have to do this again sometime. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. That was a lot of fun. It was great talking with you. All right. Go to the adventure jogger.com. All the episodes are right there. There's gear as well. T-shirts, joggers, all that good stuff. Check it out. We are 100% listener supported. You can make a monthly pledge on our Patreon page. Just search the adventure jogger on Patreon or go to the adventure jogger.com. Join the community on Facebook and Instagram by searching the adventure jogger and subscribe to the adventure jogger wherever you get your podcasts. So you don't miss a single episode. Yeah.